Hey everyone, welcome back to the Last Word on Sends podcast. As always, I'm your host, Alex Metzger, and today it is just me. I'm going solo for an episode. Um, it is 11.30 on Tuesday night. Uh, I have a guest lined up for next week, but it didn't work out that we could record this week, so we're pushing it back to early next week. Um, but I knew I hadn't record. Uh, I haven't recorded in over a week now. Uh, I I don't know the last exact date, but it would have been a week and a half, I guess, because they were. It was a couple Thursdays ago. They were going on the um, Florida trip, and, and that's kind of the reason I wanted to record. So Spencer joined me for the last episode uh, about a week and a half ago, and you know the mood was generally positive when when we recorded last. You know the Sens were. Coming off a, a four-game um, winning streak at home, they just lost to the Wild, so they snapped that. But regardless, they were sitting at four and three on the year, and it was things were looking good. You know, like it, it's one of those things where there was a lot of optimism, and rightfully so. Truthfully, like it, it wasn't blind faith where they were winning some games unsustainably. Um, if you go back to that episode, we were talking a lot about how the Sens were controlling play and were really in every game that they've played. And since then, it's their own five since recording. So they still are at four wins. And that's about as damning as a statement as I can say. They're now four and eight. They are, I want to say, last in the Eastern Conference. It's uh, Columbus might be below them there. Columbus has had a bad year as well. But the more concerning thing to me, too, is they've, they've thrown some points away that they need to have. Um, they're 4-8-0. That is last in the uh, division. The Montreal Canadiens have five. And it's last by a lot. The Montreal Canadiens have five more points. They're 6-6-1. Six, six, Buffalo 7-6. Florida 7-5-1. Same with the Lightning. The Leafs are 7-4-3. Red Wings 7-3-3. Three, and, three, and then the Bruins a massive 11-2. Um, the Senators are out of the playoff race again. As damning as that is to say. And they're not technically out. But they are already... Seven points behind, you know, they are seven points out of a playoff spot. And I think that's as eye-opening as you can make it. And they're already 13 games to 12 games in the season. Like, we're not, obviously, it's it's still early, but we're already a sixth of the way done the season here. Like, it's, it's, not, it's not too early to be like, hey, they need to start rattling off some wins if they want to play this quote-unquote competitive hockey. Because they're getting really, really close to being one of those teams that, again, is out of it by December. If they have a bad November here and finish this month, like, I don't know. I don't even know how many games they play. If they play 10 games and they, they have a 3-7 and seven record, they're out of the playoffs. And it's going to be the same crap over and over again as we've done the past three years where they go in the past last couple months, they rattle off a bunch of wins and we go, oh, look at how great this team is. It's because no one cares. And, you know, this, I, I, I sound frustrated. The reason to be optimistic, hey, this division has been insane in the Atlantic. The Sens are dead last, 4-8. They have a minus two goal differential. That is, the, there's four teams, or sorry, the, the Capitals and Penguins are also minus two. The East is just loaded as it is. The Blue Jackets are 3-9 this year. So they're tied, they're they're uh, two points behind Ottawa. Uh, the Jackets have a minus 25 goal differential. The Rangers, who are 6-5-3, and three, have a minus four diff- goal differential. Uh, the, the big thing is in... Uh, at West. So the Central Division, the Blackhawks are in fourth with a minus five goal differential. The the Sens would currently be, not by points, they, they would still be second last by points, but by goal differential, they would rank fourth in the Central Division, and they would rank fourth in the 
Pacific Division as well. There's only six teams out West uh, that actually have a positive goal differential. So uh, that's where the big difference is right now is the Eastern Conference teams have been beating up on the Western Conference teams. But to me, that's like this team is running out of excuses. Um, you know, they, they play two hard teams in, in Tampa and Florida, and Florida. They get no points out of it. And it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, okay, like that's a hard trip. But, you know, now you're sitting at four and five. And, you know, it's not the end of the world. But, you know, you got Philly and then the the um, Canucks coming up. And it's like, okay, like, you know, you got a couple games there. But then they also have the Golden Knights. And they play the Golden Knights well. You know, Mark Stone scores a goal like a minute into his return. Because, uh, of course, he does. Uh, and then, you know, Giroux gets one. But then they fall. They let four unanswered go up. And then they claw their way back, but they just can't finish it off. And that's just a theme of this team is they seem to love to play 40 minutes, but can't finish the game. Whether that is, you know, dropping. So they, they go on the Florida road trip. Uh, the Florida game was brutal. They, they gave up 58 shots. That was that was one of the most pathetic efforts I've ever seen. Not ever, but that was one of the more pathetic efforts I've seen in a long time. Especially for a sense team that actually has expectations. That's what I expect against, like, peak tanking sense teams. And... You know, th- this team pulled that off. So, you know, that was brutal. They then go to Tampa. They play a much better game against Tampa, but don't get the result. And it, again, it's like those moral wins or whatever you want to call them would have been fine a couple years ago. Like, and, and you know, and, and even then, I say they played a much better game. It was 4-3, but they only had 15 shots on Vasilevsky. Like, they got outplayed. So they get absolutely dominated on the Florida road trip. And, and it was a kind of eyes-open thing of like... And, you know, the, the the Tampa game, people are going to scream the refing, the refing, the refing. The refing was very bad. There's no way around that. That being said, the Sens took a lot of sloppy penalties. And that's kind of a theme that has come up again. And, you know, DJ's already said it, that they're not, you know, they're, they're not really playing with structure. Well, that's kind of got to go on the coach, too. And another thing that needs to go on the coach is why on earth is Nikita Zaitsev still in this goddamn lineup? I understand that Artem Zub is out. And on honestly, a normal team, I think most coaches would get the defense of, yeah, well, Artem Zub, who is their second most defend, uh, important defenseman on the Ottawa Senators out, and Josh Norris, who was their 1C going into the year, you know, shared 1C with Stutzler, is out. That still is not a reason to be playing Nikita Zaitsev 18-plus minutes a game. He played 19 against Tampa, 17-44 against the Vegas Golden Knights, um... And was directly responsible for a couple goals again. Like, this is just a common theme. On uh, Saturday, they lose to the, the Flyers 2-1. to They play better. thirty. They, they outshoot them 34-28. Carter Hart played really well like he has all year. Um, but, again, they lose. And, again, like Zaitsev played a, a low 14 minutes. That's much better. But he shouldn't be in the lineup. Tonight, they finally call up uh, JBD. And Zaitsev's still in the lineup. I just I don't understand what the logic is behind it. And, like, he, oh, he only played 11.47 tonight. That's good because he... But he shouldn't be playing 11.47 at all. And I feel like I said this last episode already, but the problem with keeping Zaitsev in the lineup, regardless of how much or how little you're going to play him, partly is that he's not a good player. The other part of it is it absolutely ruins Eric Branstrom. Eric Branstrom looks his absolute best when he's playing with a guy like Nick Holden, where he knows he's dispen- uh, uh, responsible defensively. It gives Branstrom some confidence to move the puck up the ice, pass the puck up ice, or skate it. And he also knows he can use his partner as an outlet if he needs it because teams can pressure. With Zaitsev, that's just not an option. And on top of that, in his own end, you already get running around, and then Zaitsev just abandons the front of the net. 
it's so frustrating to watch. And it's just, it's one of those little things where I, like, I'm very happy JBD came in and played 17 minutes tonight. That's really cool to see. I, I'm glad, you know, he didn't just play the 11 minutes. But you can't be saying, and like, I, if you want Travis Hammond to get some rest, fine. But bottom line is that Nikita Zaitsev cannot be playing for this team anymore. It's just, it's that simple. And I'm not saying all of the Senators' woes will get fixed by sitting Nikita Zaitsev. I'm not trying to imply that. But enough of them will. Or, you know, at least enough to the degree of the fact that, you know, he absolutely seems, he seems to be on the ice for every other goal against, which when you're not even playing that much is bad. Um, you know, I, I, thought, I didn't get to watch a ton of the game tonight. I, I had to leave after the second period and I was recording the other, my other podcast, um, M&M Hockey Podcast, also out on Tuesday when you're listening to this. Uh, on Wednesday, sorry, selfless plug. Um, I was on my other podcast, so I didn't get to like closely watch the game, but just by the numbers, you know, um, Branstrom had to look like he had a good game tonight. You know, Parker Kelly, Stutzla, Branstrom, Kachuk, uh, Watson, and Giroux were all in the 70% Corsi 4 uh, percentage, and, you know, expected goals were all up there as well. Um, Kachuk had an 84% expected goals. He was he looked like he was absolutely flying tonight. Um, you know, the, the third line, Mott, Joseph Pinto, uh, did not have a good night. They only played about 10 minutes at 5-on-5, five five, and they were a um, 26th and 35 to 30-ish percent expected goal line. Uh, they, they didn't play very well, and Hamnick and Sanderson had a had an off night as well. For you know, they, They've looked really good. Um, I, I just... I don't know if firing the coach fixes this team, but I think it improves this team. That being said, I saw a good point on Twitter. I think it was Trevor Shackles, friend of the podcast, who brought it up that the Senators can't just fire DJ Smith to hire Jack Capiano or you know promote an assistant. The Senators need someone new. They need someone new aging, whether that's you know man, um, whether that's um, you know someone on the outside. You know, Claude Julian doesn't have a uh, a job right now. Um, you know, they're, they're whatever, like a former coach, a new co- like a college coach or whatever. It's got to be someone different than what DJ Smith brings. Uh, and obviously Troy Mann is uh, the AHL Belleville head coach right now. You know, I, I think that would be an interesting option as well. I've heard his name floated around for other jobs as well. It feels like just a matter of time before he gets a crack at the NHL. Um, but DJ Smith... To me, it's getting to the point where I don't think it's all on him. I, I do think the forwards need to, the for the, the team as a whole needs to get better defensively, and I think a better system does that. So in that case, I think it's somewhere on DJ. But sometimes you just got to put it on the players too. You know, they they have not played good enough defensively. They they still just run around their own end. And one thing I really noticed with the Senators is their forwards are really bad at when the puck gets cycling. They all just seem to get really sucked in below the hash marks. And a collapse D only works so much that when, unless, you know, until you start getting that rotation and other teams seem to find that the heavy rotation outside on the slot seems to really work. And then they're just firing shots from the top of the, the circle. And I don't care how many bodies you have. It's more likely it's just going to hit someone and take a weird deflection in than anything else. So I definitely think it is on the players. But at this point, I just, and I felt like this heading into the year, I was willing to give Smith at least a shot, but my kind of overall arching thing is, I think regardless, unless Ottawa goes on a huge run and makes the playoffs this year, it kind of feels like DJ Smith is done as the Ottawa Senators head coach. 
And I don't think that's a hot take to say. You know, maybe if they just miss by a point or two. like they, But they have to go on a run. And I don't see it happening. Uh, that kind of run. And so it feels like if you're just delaying the inevitable, shouldn't you just pull the trigger now to get a better option? And again, you need to have that better option in promotable. But it's just... It's been frustrating to watch. And every gloss has been by one goal, you know, uh, and not including empty netters. And it's just... Yeah, like they're they're four and eight, but they have a minus two goal difference. That tells you all you need to know about this team. And and they're still playing pretty well. Like they outplayed the Canucks tonight. You know, they had sixty three percent of the shot attempts. Um, you know, the the quality was sixty three percent as well. Like uh, that was five on five. All situations it was sixty three uh, and sixty percent. You know, like they they outplayed Vancouver tonight. That is not a question. Um, you know, Philly, I thought they, you know, again, I didn't get to watch a ton of that game. I was out for part of it, but I thought they outplayed them as well. You know, like they, they didn't dominate them, but they, they outplayed them. And I, I, again, if it's not for a 950 from Carter Hart, you win that game. But at some point you need to break through and just not allow that 950. So it's, it's frustrating, you know, like I did not think when I was recording the podcast, which we were in a really good mood last time that I'd be coming back on here with five straight losses. And I, it just, the thing that really bugs me is it's the same thing all the time. It's like, they just, they shut down for 20 minutes. They play so sloppy defensively, but then randomly for 10 minutes in the second or third period, they'll just absolutely turn it on and look like this like world beating, dominating offensive team we think of them as. And I just want to know where that team goes for the rest of the time. Because on the whole, it evens out to they, they are a good team. And, you know, like advanced stats will back that up. Um, you know, their their shot share, they're sixth in Corsi 4 percentage this year. You know, now they're 53%, which is it's still good. Don't get me wrong. It's not like they're dominating or anything. There's about three teams really high up in Carolina, the Devils, and the Panthers that are absolutely dominating. But they're sixth in Corsi 4, and their expected goals percentage is 54, which is eighth in the league. If you told me the Sens were sixth and eighth in possession metrics, like, this is the highest they have been at any 12-game stretch I'm willing to bet over the past four years, or at least close to it. Like, they, you know, the past couple of years, it has been, I mean, there was a couple of years where they were literally, like, 30th. But even the past couple of rebuilding years, it, it's been, like, eight to, like 18th to 24th, kind of, in that range, where it's like, yeah, they've been okay, but not great. Like, this is a top of the team. They're playing, like, a top echelon team. But I think part of that is also they need to get some wins off of this schedule. Like, the, the Philadelphia Flyers have a decent record. They're not a good team. They're being propped up by Carter Hart. And the Sens saw some of that as well, you know. Um, it's, you know, Carter Hart shut the door on them. He made a bunch of good stops, again. But, like, you kind of need to crack through. And so they have the, the schedule upcoming to, again, make some ground. But it, the Canucks were another team. The Canucks were absolutely reeling. You have to beat that team. And they don't get it done. You know, they um, – so now they have upcoming here – they have the Devils, who have been at a, just a wagon this year. The Devils have been amazing. I had circled this one as maybe not too bad of a start. They, this is going to be a tough game. Like The Devils are on top two in both Corsi 4 and expected goals this year. They have a 9-3 and three record. They have been absolutely dominating teams. They look really, really good. So this will be a tough test. But the one good thing for the Senators is that they need to take advantage of. The Devils' goaltending is not good. They are playing at like an 895 level. So... You know, this could be a track meet, but uh, Ottawa better use that to their advantage. But they have the Devils, then they have the Flyers, the Islanders, 
Yeah, again, like the Flyers and Islanders have okay records. I don't think they're that great of teams, though. Uh, especially the Flyers. The Flyers are just not a good team. Like they're they're dead last in expected goals, or sorry, in Corsi Four, they're thirtieth in expected goals. The Islanders are a bit better than that. You know, they're about a mid range team. But again, like the Islanders are a team. If you want to be making playoffs, you need to be beating Philly and the Islanders. And then you get the Sabers, another team that again off to a great start. They've already lost to them this year. You need a win out of there. They play the Devils again. That's tough. And then they go Sharks, Golden Knights, Ducks, Kings. The Sharks and Ducks are two teams, again, you need to be... Golden Knights are a really good team. They start off really well. And the Kings are a 50-50. You're on the end of a long road trip. Um, you know, And then at that point, we're already getting into December, where they got the Rangers on a back-to-back. Then the Sharks and Kings again actually come visit them. So, but my point is, basically, I just named off the next, what, 8, 10, 12. If you go all the way up to where the, the Kings are back in town, that's 13 games. If you want to even extend it a little further, the Preds come in. And the Ducks, there's 16 games. Out of their next 16 games, like, they got to win a minimum of, like, 11 of them. And I tweeted the other night, actually, too, and I'm going to pull this up right now. I think it was the Locked On Sense podcast had basically tweeted out the Senators' um, schedule the other day. Uh, they they tweeted out uh, just, you know, who, who they're playing, where they're playing. I uh, have it right here. So... Uh, Pierre Dorian says the next 10 games are, quote, very important. So, versus Van, at New Jersey, at Philly, versus the Islanders, versus Buffalo, versus New Jersey, at San Jose, Vegas, and Highland right? Uh, so, they said, how many games does Sens have to win to gain your confidence back with this group? My take on this, what I said, this will be the easiest stretch opponents they face all season. Now, looking ahead, I might have even underestimated that. The next 10 are a little light as well. But if they want to keep up, they need to take a 14 points out of that uh, 20 possible points there. Well, they've already dropped two. So now you're at 14 out of 18. That is a near impossible task, it feels like, for this team. And the way I had it, I had a win against Vancouver, a loss against New Jersey. I had a win against Philly, a win against the Islanders, a win against Buffalo, an OT loss against New Jersey, a win against San Jose, a loss against Vegas, a win against Anaheim, an OT loss against LA. Well, you've already lost to Vancouver, so now you need to flip two points somewhere. So either you're beating two of, you know, I, I get either you're beating one of Vegas or New Jersey, or you're flipping both the overtime losses in New Jersey and L.A. that wins, whether that's overtime wins or just wins. If you're flipping those wins, you are now asking to win eight of your next nine games, basically. You know, you have, that would bake in um, a loss against New Jersey and then four win, five wins, six, seven wins in a row. So, yeah, sorry, it'd be seven in your next nine. Um, and it's just like the, these are the numbers. Like, and if that sounds crazy to you, it should. That is an insane pace. That, But like that's the kind of heater they've already put themselves in that they need to go on just to make this playoff race interesting. Honestly. Um, you know, like that. And, and like seven wins in nine games is a 127 point pace. Of course, I'm not saying they need to play that, that, but they need a stretch like that. They absolutely need a stretch like that. It's just... I don't want to be, again, I don't want to be all doom and gloom. There's a lot to like about this team. But it's so frustrating watching a team with so much potential just underperform this aggressively. And I don't know what the easy fix, like, the easy fix is obviously you got to get rid of Nikita Zaitsev. That's not going to fix all this season's problem, all this team's problems, though. You know, um, it, it would be nice if Bathur, or Debrinket starts scoring. I'm not blaming everything on him, but he's got two goals and nine assists, um, you know, which is, is great. 11 points in 12 games is good. Like, if you're telling me you're getting a 75-point player, that's about the, the pace he's on. Again, that's good. 
But he's a, he needs to start scoring a little more. And, you know, points are up around the league. And they always are to start the year. So point per game play, I feel like we kind of defend. Like, there's a bunch of guys who are, there's five guys on the Sens that are almost point per game players. Demrinkit, Stutzla, and Giroux all have 11 and 12. And I would argue, you know, Giroux's got seven goals, four assists. I would the, those assists. I think, you know, he's going to start picking up some more assists. Dabrinkit's going to pick up some more goals. But that's got to start happening soon. You know, Drake's at 12 and 12. He's at 4 and 8. And Kachuk leading the way, 16 and 12. You know, uh, just having a phenomenal season. So, it's... The, things need to turn around quick. And that's as simple as it is. Um, you know, they... they I've been ranting for 20 minutes already. and But the simple fact is they need to play better defensively and they need to start doing it now. If they want a chance to stay in this playoff race, they need to win minimum four of their next six, I would say. And that's going to be a hard task, but they've put themselves in a position where they need that hard task. So two other massive pieces of news that I want to talk about quickly this week. Um, obviously, the first one is the Senators are for sale. I didn't touch on this, I don't think, in the last podcast. It came out after. Um, you know, they've gone, the, the Melnick estate has gone with a buying group, uh, or a, a group to sell the team, I should say. They're exploring their options. This came out uh, last week after an evaluation came out that had them, I think it was about 650 mil, 625, somewhere around there, was their franchise valuation, which was up 21%, I want to believe, I believe, over the last year. So, really good. It's growing. Uh, Bruce Garriock has come out. Um, and said already that they expect to sell for more than that. I would kind of guess, you know, Seattle, I think, just paid $650. There, you know, and there's even rumors that like a new team might have to pay $800, $850. I would guess it's going to be in that $800, $850 for an established franchise. But it'll be interesting to see because obviously I think the biggest thing is going to be it ties in with LeBret and Flats. You know, I think whoever is the owner is going to want a big part of that, whether they own the building or have a big say in it. And that's fair enough. But, you know, the, the, the good news for Sens fans is that. Ottawa has came out and said they're only selling to keep the team in Ottawa. So that that will be part of the agreement. Who knows for how many years that'll be. I would assume, you know, I think when... Oh, shoot. Who was it? Was it Calgary? No. Arizona. When Arizona sold, I believe they signed a contract that, you know, said they, they want to keep the team in Arizona for a certain amount of years. I can't remember if it's they're committed to 20 or something like that. But... I assume it's going to be the same thing where it's like, yeah, you're not moving Ottawa, the Senators out of Ottawa for X amount of years. And I would imagine that'll be more than two or whatever. I personally, I've never really had concern that this team would leave Ottawa. I just, I know it's different markets and everything, but I, I just look at everything. Arizona's playing in a 5,000 seat arena right now. And you're going to tell me they're going to move Ottawa? Okay, yeah, yeah, I'd like to see that. I, I would really like to see Batman do that. Same with like, you know, and again, I don't want to just like mug on, but like the Panthers sell eight thousand tickets half the time. You know, and they've been doing better since they've been, but they've got one of the best teams in the league, and they still don't sell out every night. Don't even get close to it. So, and again, that's fine. You know, they have their own arena issues as well. But I'm saying, if you know, there's no talk of relocation for those teams. It's just not happening with Ottawa. So, um, and then obviously, uh, even I would argue even bigger news than the Ottawa Senators selling is that. Ryan Reynolds, what is now? There was a rumor started that Ryan Reynolds wanted to buy the team. You know, he was at the game tonight as they were playing Vancouver. Um, I kind of hope we chill with this a little bit. Let's act cool. I, I don't want everyone just, you know, bombarding him with it. It just, I don't know. I, I'm sure he's used to it with all the fame, but it's one of those things where it's like, I think there is a line of like, it would be awesome seeing him around a bunch and like, you know, it's cool seeing him be a fan of this 
you know, want to buy the team and everything like that, but also not pushing it too overboard or anything like that either. So, um, but yeah, he, he went on, I think it was the Tonight Show, and it, it's pretty clear he would be a minority owner where, who knows, he'd probably have under 5% of the team because he already said he's like, I would need partners with very, very deep pockets. So it would probably be an organization that buys it. He buys like 5%, but is, you know, kind of like a facehead of it, like much like he is with Wrexham FC, their football club that he bought um, overseas. So um, obviously that's a much smaller club in terms of the division they play in. That, but it's the same idea, right? Where he he is the face of the franchise. They started, I think, I don't know if it's a Netflix or Amazon or what, but there's a documentary on it and everything. And, you know, just the marketing team that comes with Ryan Reynolds, I think, would be really, really good for the Ottawa Senators. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where that goes. I, I think it'll obviously be a little while. Um, I don't blame the Melnick uh, sisters for, or the Melnick daughters, I should say, for um, wanting to sell. I, I think... Since Melnick's passing, everything's gone about as smoothly as you could ask for. Obviously, the team is committed to a, a win-now, buy-now window. Um, but, you know, like it's two people in their 20s that got handed a, a, an estate with a hockey team in it. If you're telling me the selling price is $800, 850000000 I'm splitting that two ways, you know, or even a couple more ways, and I'm in my mid-20s, yeah, I'm probably taking that cool... 200 to 400 million as well. So I definitely can't blame them for selling. I, it didn't come as much of a surprise to me. So it'll be interesting to see who all steps up and how that develops. But obviously, we'll keep an eye on it. The final piece of news tonight, and which this one came as a surprise, the Ottawa Senators are retiring Chris Neal's number 25. So before I get into anything, I want to say congrats to Chris Neal. This is a really cool thing. You know, Chris Neal has been one of the guys who kind of stayed with the team no matter what. You know, been a really big veteran presence. Obviously, he was a guy who played, one of the few guys who played every single game of his career with the Senators. Long career. You know, the the one of the faces of the, you know, the Battle of Ontario, I would say, growing up, like Chris Neal was probably the third, eh, no, maybe maybe like fifth most popular senator, I would say, as someone who grew up, like I, I was born in 99, so I grew up right in the peak of like those fighting days, the Battle of Ontario, Chris Neal was a staple, I, I would say, you know, growing up, it was Alfredson, Spezza, Redden, Phillips, and Neal, it, it was probably the big five, and then you get in the Carlson years as well, obviously, as you get into 2011 there, but yeah, like that, that early 2000 to 2010 kind of era is... You know, and then obviously Chris Neal was still there for the 2010 to 2017 as well. It just a little less effective in his later years. But so it's it's good for him that he's, you know, getting his number up. Uh, to me, I, I'm trying to pick my words carefully because I, I don't want to take anything away. I feel the way I felt about Chris Phelps. It's really cool. Personally, if it was me, I think they're more ring of honor guys. And I'm, I'm a little confused why the team isn't using that ring of honor. Um, a little more. Um, it's just, I believe it's just Brian Murray in there right now, but those two guys both, and I said the same thing at Phillips, those two guys both feel like ring of honor guys to me. Um, now I'm fully on, like if anyone's losing sleep over this, go outside and touch grass is another thing I will say. This is one of those things where I saw Tate's so like, oh, who cares about who, whose banner is up on the, who they retire or whatever. Let people have fun. It's like, okay, let's just retire everyone's number then. Let's go for it. Like, no, obviously, we're fans. We can talk about what we want and what we don't want. It's just got to be in a respectful manner. And so, you know, personally, I wouldn't have retired Chris Neal's shirt. I think absolutely slam dunk ring of honor. But, to, again, like, to me, that's the thing where it's like he was a great franchise player, He, but he wasn't a great player. If, if that makes like. 
he was a fourth line player his entire career. You know, like he had, I think it was four 10 goal seasons. I don't think he ever had anything much over that. Like, and again, it was more about the intangibles and the fighting and stuff like that, which, you know, you can't call it quantify as much, but it's just one of those things where it's like, to me, that's not really a player. Like if you just look around the league and other, at other teams, that's not really a player that whose number you retire, you know, like, his career high in goals for a season was 16, and he had a career high 33 points in that 05-06 season as well, along with 204 penalty minutes. Finishes his career 1,226 games played, all with Ottawa, obviously. 250 points. So he's a 0.25 point per game player. 2,500 penalty minutes. Listen, I just I don't know how many, even defensemen for franchises, are 0.25 points per game that have their number retired. And... I, I get, I'm not losing sleep over this. It is what it is. I'm just telling you my personal opinion. I was shocked to see that they announced the retirement. Good for Chris Neal, though. You know, I, I'm sure it'll be a, a cool night, you know, getting back to watch him punch a bunch of Leafs in the face. And in the montage, you know, that'll be uh, a lot. You know, him just absolutely dropping a couple guys in the corner. Um, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I mean, good, good for Chris Neal. I, I was pretty surprised. I'm curious to get your thoughts. Though. I, I would, I, I really want to hear. You know, do you agree, disagree um, with his number in the rafters? And again, keep it respectful. This doesn't have to be a the dude who's a plug. He doesn't deserve anything. But you know, it also doesn't have to be. How dare you even question whether his number should be up? Like, keep it a nice, honest, respectful discussion. Uh, but yeah, I, I would, I you know, on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff or at Last Word on Sends. Uh, I, I would genuinely like to hear people's opinions on this because, um, you know, I, I just, it's not, an, I just, I think if it was any other franchise, like if the, uh, on my other podcast, Chase brought up a pretty good point. If the Leafs uh, retired Darcy Tucker's number, I think they would get absolutely roasted for that. But Darcy Tucker at his peak, you know, like wasn't a different, like he wasn't a much different player than Chris Neal or whatever. Um, he played less games, I think, than uh, for the Leafs than, than Chris Neal. Then he obviously played with a different couple different teams with the Avs late in his career. But like Darcy Tucker had a 59-point season with the Toronto Maple Leafs. His peak was 61 as well. Like His peak was double points of what Chris Neal put up. But it would be ridiculous to suggest Darcy Tucker gets a, a thing. And, and part of that is he also only played, you know, 10 years, not even 10 years with the Leafs. But it's just that that's kind of... My friend brought up that point, or Chase brought up that point, and I thought that was a, a pretty valid thing to kind of mention is like, just to, just to put it in comparison. But, um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, cool for Chris Neal. Uh, I'm surprised, but, uh, you know, it's happening now, so I, I think, you know, it'll be a great night when it does happen, and uh, it'll be interesting to watch on TV and the montage. It'll definitely be a fun montage, that's for sure. So, um other than that, I think that's about it. It was announced that Norris doesn't need surgery this week. Uh, he's going to be out until at least January. They're going to reevaluate him. I, shoulder injuries suck, dude. They just sound so bad. You know, I, I've hurt my arm. I've had a sore arm. Um, you know, and that even just bugs you for weeks. And you know, like I, it not even like that. That's just a casual thing, too, right? Like I'm not even trying to compare myself to. Can't imagine what a pro athlete has to go through. You know, to keep him out of the lineup. But shoulder injuries suck. We saw it with Pinto last year. Part of me was almost hoping he would just get the surgery and rehab it so he could look like Pinto has looked this year, but I, I completely understand. So hopefully Norris has a speedy recovery. Uh, Zoob should be coming back soon. Fingers crossed because this team desperately needs them. Um, thank you, everyone, so much for listening to the podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff and Last Word on Sends. You can find all my work at lastwordonhockey.com. And as I mentioned already, I'll have another podcast out, the Eminem Hockey Podcast. Jason and I talk about 
everything that happens around the league. So if you want to hear me laughing at Toronto uh, today as well, uh, some joy in their misery at least too, um, you know, you can go check that out wherever you're listening to this podcast as well. So um, I, as I mentioned, I'll have a guest next week. I already got it all lined up. Um, so I will be, I think the next episode will be coming out next Tuesday if everything goes to plan. Um, so thank you everyone so much for listening and I will talk to you all next week.